Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dave Hooker Show. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Objective insight. Expertise. Top guest. Available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the Off the Hook Sports app. Download now for free. Also available on offthehooksports.com. I compute and obey. Now to Dave Hooker. Ready. Got my Caleb, got my coffee. What more do I need? Good Monday to you. Let's get rolling as we'll probably talk a lot of football from this point forward as it's official. March Madness is over now for the Lady Balls as well as for the men. We knew about the men, but the Lady Balls, their Elite Eight run ends in the Sweet 16. So, It's an interesting season in that both teams faced a lot of injuries. Both teams had seasons in which you thought at one point they probably weren't a sweet 16 and that both teams made it, but both teams seemed to give you some optimism that they would get a little further. So Caleb, there are a lot of emotions with both, both of these basketball programs in terms of how the season unfolded. Oh, we lost your microphone, Caleb. Let's get your, I think. We got Excuse your me, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> it happens. It's hard to take it all into perspective because you're right. Where do you compare how it ended? What do you compare it to? Because if you compare it to the beginning of the season, the men did about what they were expected to do. They were in the 9 to 16 range, I think, in the AP poll at the start of the year. So they finished in the 9 to 16 range by making the Sweet 16 and not making the Elite Eight. Lady Vols is a bit of a different story because the Lady Vols started the year number four. So you thought they had final four potential. Now the Lady Vols had such a rough start to the season and the men had such an awesome start to the season. It kind of reversed. You you know, in January, you're thinking the Lady Vols might not get out of the first round or the first weekend. And you're thinking the men might be a final four team and it all evens out and they end up both going home in the sweet 16. So it just seems that I, I think you can take a sweet 16 run and be happy about it. I think if, if, if one of those teams you should have expected more from, it would have been the lady Vols. I will say that. 
Fair. Uh, go ahead and click that like button. A bunch of people just jumped on. We appreciate thumbs up. Helps us smash it, smash it, smash it because we are loaded uh, today. We've got a spring camp review. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that with the way that they insulate spring camp, frankly, you're not getting a lot of news. You'll get a lot of news with us. We've got some insight here that we're going to be able to give you and some real factual things that are happening at spring camp uh, spring camp. And I will go ahead and tell you that I'm going to lead it off with a guy named Ethan Davis. That may be your next star. I'm talking this year, not, but I'm definitely next two or three years. Watch out. So we'll get to that. Also uh, more on the lady Vols, March madness, more on the basketball balls. And then an interesting column about, Hendon Hooker and uh, our own favorite, uh, who we're getting better at his name, but I just love the drop. It's uh, Nico Iamaleva. Iamaleava. Ah, missed it again. But Caleb, do you want to try? Iamaleava. I got Iamaleava. it. You do have it. You're oh, like, I remember the day I was driving down the road and I got uh, Tungabaola correctly. I was like, yes. Oh, I remember when I remember when I got Tucker Viola correctly too, but <laughs> I don't remember when I first spelled his name right because I still can't spell it. To this day, I need to look it up before I spell it. It's difficult, and I think the spell checker on our computers say, "Are you sure?" But Ia Maleava. Ia Maleava. Did I do it? I think you got it that time. Ia Maleava. Ia Maleava. All right. So we started out. I think Caleb was struggling a little bit more than I fell behind the pack. And then coming around turn four, Caleb passes me. Uh, I I think we both uh, ended up across the finish line. So what are your thoughts on the message board of the Vols and what they did in spring camp? We always want to include you in the program. SEC scout guy says Caleb is – uh, so upset, I guess, about the Lady Vols losing that uh, the hair on your face fell out. You're going freshly shaven. What are you doing, young man? Trying to make me look old? Uh, it was a little bit of a mix-up. I For some reason, I mixed up, like, thinking yesterday was Easter. And I usually, like, shave, like, right as Easter comes. Because I'm, like, I'm not even that religious. But I'm, like, okay, after Easter and Lynn, that's, like, right when you start looking fully forward to spring and summer. It's, like, that's, that's really the signal that winter is totally in the rear view is po- post-Easter. But we we got, hung out with some friends who the, um, the the female of the group doesn't care for sports at all. Just doesn't register, doesn't mean anything, doesn't know UT from Alabama or anything. And and she said, why do you like basketball so much? She goes, I know you like Tennessee, but um, you know, why, why do you like basketball so much when Tennessee's out even? I said, you know, I think there's something about it reminds me of spring. Remember when people used to say pitchers and catchers were reporting? Yes. Yeah, and like it was early. It was like late February. Sometimes they may have already reported. I don't know. Oh yeah, they reported already. Spring training's underway. Yeah. So, but still, even though it was like mid February, you were like, I can see spring. I can, yes, I can smell the blooms. My sinuses it's, are a little upset. It's so you're so right. There's like that. It's it's like there's there's like these barriers for me before spring. One is the it's 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 after it's it's after the Super Bowl because up until the Super Bowl I'm fine with winter. I'm like it's football season still going on. Who cares? I don't care about the weather outside. Yeah. I'm locked in. I'm eating chili. I'm good. Yeah, exactly. Post Super Bowl before spring, it's like okay, there's a few barriers. One for me is the NBA All Star Game. Got to get past the All Star Game. That's one hurdle. Then there's Lent. Then there's March. Ma- I mean, yeah. Then there's March Madness. Then there's Easter. Once you hit Easter, you're like okay. 
now spring is here. Now I can start thinking about baseball season. Yeah, I can handle this. Hit that thumbs up button. Let's get her rolling today with today's tough question. It's brought to you by our friend Andy Mason. AndyMasonRealEstate.com is today's tough question. Today's tough question. Take a side. Take a stand. The Dave Hooker Show, a presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. Talking some quarterbacks, there's a great opportunity out there that you need to avoid, and that's the opportunity to lose thousands or tens of thousands of dollars in the real estate market. It's not going to happen with AndyMasonRealEstate.com. AndyMasonRealEstate.com, over 40 years of experience in the Knoxville area in real estate, best prices, best service. How simple is that? That's AndyMasonRealEstate.com. So today's tough question, also brought to you by friends at Craven Wings, never frozen always fresh i had them a couple weeks ago it's my new go-to place in knoxville for meetings and just having wings and watching ball and it's a great love the choto location that has just just a fantastic brunch uh, an unbelievable brunch that they launched on tuesday so uh today's tough question let's get right to it and it's kind of a difficult one i want to set this one up and the way I want to set it up, if we can, there was an article about what incoming quarterbacks. Is that is that what you saw from Tom Luganville and Craig Hubbard? Yes. Uh, incoming quarterbacks, 2023 recruits uh, at some big name programs, basically some of the top name quarterbacks at these schools, although they did leave out Arch Manning. So <laughs> they left out Arch Manning. They left out Arch Manning. Yep. <laughs> so, but but to be fair, these aren't incoming quarterbacks. Excuse me. These are incoming top recruits players. These are top players that comparing them to other great players. So to be fair, I think this is part of the reason they left out Arch Manning is that I don't really think there's a high ceiling player that has recently played at Texas that you would want Arch. You would expect Arch Manning to surpass everybody that's played quarterback at Texas since Vince Young or Colt McCoy, put it that way. Oh, no love for Quinn Ears, um, which I understand. Okay. So Craig Wings, today's tough question. Do you expect Nico Iamaleva to be better than Hendon Hooker. What about this? First time we've ever done this. This makes my day. I may shut down the show and take the rest of the day off because if you come up with a poll that's exactly 50-50, then you've done something. Right now, we're exactly 50-50. So the two options for the Craven Wings Today's Tough Question is, yes, Nico, much more talented. Nope. Hendon was great. Right now, it is exactly 50-50. Exactly 50-50. So mash the like button and share your thoughts. And I I was playing around with the uh, Restream YouTube, and I think I can share your thoughts on the screen, but it could be a complete disaster. So we'll see how that goes. I might cut Caleb off. I might be off the air. Who knows? But do you expect... Nico Ia Maleva. Ia Maleva. Sorry, that is my fault. Nico, get me right. Oh, I had to turn down. Ia Maleava. So, do you expect him to be better than Hendon Hooker? I'm going to go out and say it. Yes. And I love Hendon Hooker, guys. I am a huge fan. I believe in him in the NFL because of his intangibles. But. 
it, this isn't about Hendon Hooker. This is about Nico Iamaleava being, as I've said, the best quarterback you could possibly find to run this system. This is, everybody thought in the early 90s that Shane Matthews was an amazing quarterback for Steve Spurrier. Everybody was high on Shane Matthews. And then a guy named Danny Warfel came and turned out to be better than Shane Matthews. <laughs> and Well, let's, let's review that for this for just a second. Okay. Danny Werfel, why was he the perfect quarterback for Spurrier? So he could, he would stand in there and take a hit. He was tough as nails and he would deliver it on time. Didn't have great accuracy, didn't need it, but that was in many ways a downfield option attack. Somewhat like, somewhat like Josh Heupel's and that you read the safety and then you made your break and Danny Werfel made that read, boom, delivered it on time. Uh, a lot of quarterbacks physically could have done that, but with the fact that they had five receivers going out, he took a lot of hits. So a lot of quarterbacks probably wouldn't have held up and probably wouldn't have wanted to hold up. But he was able to do that. Now, why do you tell me that, and I know why, but for discussion's sake, why do you tell me that Hendon Hooker is practically lab-made for a Josh Heupel offense? And you mean, I agree with you. you I Nico, just Nico, not Hendon. Oh, Nico, excuse me. Hendon's close, but Nico <laughs> goes better but go ahead Hendon is very close but Hendon had to develop a deep ball he had to develop it over time thank you you're absolutely Nico right. has it and Nico has this is the big thing Hendon didn't just develop a deep ball he had to develop pocket presence if you remember he took a lot of sacks in 2021 because he his awareness in the pocket wasn't there Nico from all the reports by all accounts is incredible in the pocket is very very good at knowing where to move and where to step I, he may not be as fast as Hendon Hooker, although I think he might be. I've heard some reports that he actually might be pretty fast too if he needs to scramble. But uh, Nico is faster than Hooker. I, I think Hooker's faster, but I think Nico is fast enough that I think he might be as fast or close to it, from what I've heard. Um, people I've talked to at camp say he's deceptively fast because he's a long strider. Right. Yeah. And and so he's deceptively fast, as you said. He can move in the pocket. He already has that pocket presence already there with his mobility. And the deep ball is just so beautiful. And Josh Heupel's offense, an accurate deep ball is one of the most important, is the most important thing in Josh Heupel's offense. And no one, I have, I don't think anybody in college football has a more accurate deep ball coming in this year than Nico Iamaliava. And that includes Arch Manning, who may be a better quarterback overall. But if you need a deep ball, you need Nico. I'm going to throw something out there that you didn't mention that I think is as significant of all the things that you mentioned and maybe even more so i think he gets the ball out fast i think he gets oh, yeah. I, think, I think his release is uber quick and i think it's a, a hair second quicker than hendon hooker i do think it's significantly quicker and go ahead and start with the dave's a joe milton hater i think it's incredibly <laughs> quicker than uh, joe milton and as uh, Smoky Mountain Red points out, mobile and accurate are the two big ones. I, I agree with that. Um, the accuracy sounds crazy, but it's not incredibly important um, because guys are running so bare so often in this offense. And I think they'll continue to do so because the defensive backs are, are going to be confused. Now, the defenses of Tennessee plays <clears throat> will do a better job of playing that high tempo style against the balls, but still, it is going to be tough to man up with that, kind of like the triple option that Georgia Tech used to run. And it was like you got to – or the option attack that Georgia Tech used to run. You had to prepare for that back in the day. So you got to prepare for this, and Tennessee's always going to have an advantage. 
I, I, I can't say though, Caleb, as much as I want to agree with you, that Nico is going to be better than Hendon Hooker because Hendon Hooker should have been a Heisman finalist. He was on my ballot. Was the SEC Player of the Year. Um, set all kinds of passing records. In other words, what I'm saying is I agree with everything you said about how Nico is absolutely tailor-made for this offense. I believe that Tennessee will have good receivers that will fill in for the Jalen Hyatts of the world. But I can't say that somebody's going to be that much better when the bar's that high. So I'm going to take, I'm going to say no, that he'll be very good. He will have two, two and a half years of Hendon level talent, but I'm going to say no, that as a whole, his ceiling will not be better than Hendon Hooker just because it was so high. And I mean that as a compliment and not a shot at Nico, who I think everybody knows that I love. Everybody says that I'm a Nico lover and a Joe hater. Now it appears as if Caleb has someone who's on the message board who's saying he's a huge Hooker fan. So we both now have our biases. But what do you think about, I mean, just the, it's so high. The ceiling is so high, Caleb. It's high, but I'm going higher because there's another guy who may be the greatest quarterback in NFL history that went to Tennessee. And I think Nico will be the greatest quarterback in Tennessee history when it's all said and done. That's my bar. That's my, no, he won't. I don't think he'll be better than Peyton in the NFL. I don't think that's going to happen. But at Tennessee, I think Nico, I am a Iamaliava. Will set. (laughs) I think Ia Maleava will set the standard at Tennessee of quarterbacks. I think, and here's the things the one thing you have me with, and we'll say this Hooker developed a deep ball, Hooker developed pocket presence. He did that because he has incredible intangibles. We can't measure Nico's intangibles yet. We know Hooker's intangibles, they are incredible. Work ethic, leadership. Well, that helps my argument. No, I agree. I agree. That was going to bolster your argument with that. That's what makes it tricky is I believe Nico has great intangibles. I see no reason to think he doesn't. But there is no way you can have better intangibles than Hooker. You can only have as good of intangibles as Hendon Hooker. Does that make sense? You can't have better intangibles. It's impossible. Right. And and that is a huge thing in Hooker's favor. I still believe in Nico, though. And here's the big one. Here, Here's where accuracy comes into play. Remember the Georgia game last year where Cedric Tillman couldn't get separation. Jalen Hyatt couldn't get separation. They tried, they tried to sneak Princeton fan out and Georgia was ready every time they did that. And the, uh, remember when they did all those plays trying to get separation. Well, with hooker, you needed the guys, you needed the receivers to beat their man and just be 10 yards open downfield. I think Nico has the level of accuracy where if you got a decent sized receiver, there's a good chance you could throw it to a guy who's well covered when you're playing Georgia even if he doesn't get separation and just trust him to make a 50, 50 ball. And you couldn't really do that with Hendon as much. Oh, that's fair. So everybody's beating up on me saying I'm campaigning for Nico to be the starter. And uh, Dave, why do you hate Milton? I don't, I, the best story right now for this team and this team's morale and ability to have success is that Joe Milton grabs this job and he's the guy through December. That is the best thing that could happen for not only Joe, but for the program and for this show. 
that's the bottom line because I know that a quarterback controversy gets people talking, but at the end of the day, uh, Tennessee being more successful gets a lot of people talking. So now I'm not campaigning. And for the record, just because we saw, I saw the little tag going across. If Joe wins a job over Nico, it's going to be because he didn't lose a job and he has the locker room. This isn't about learning the offense. It, it, it Again, any quarterback's going to pick up this offense by fall camp. It's an easy offense to pick up, as you pointed out, Dave. It is, and we had somebody else that pointed that out, too. Sam, I'm sorry, it was Travis, said the offense is incredibly easy. Issue will be if he can handle all the stardom. I agree with that. Um, And we've got a knock-knock joke. Knock-knock, who's there? Dave, Dave who? Dave hates Joe. I don't hate Joe. But a little bit of backup. Smoky Mountain Red says, "Is is it wrong to say I really like two hookers? Oh, but you usually have to pay like triple for that. Well, well, between Dave and Hendon, Joe, I mean, it, hookers seem to be the reason Joe keeps losing his job. <laughs> right. That's the issue. Now, SC Scout Guy does bring up a good point. And I think SC Scout Guy is more of a South Carolina fan. So I always love getting perspective from other fan bases. He says, man, I feel bad for this kid. He has almost impossible expectations. He does. And who doesn't, well, who doesn't embrace expectations. Who's not great? Well, yeah, but this is a little goofy in that he's a midterm guy. He's making all this money. It's a little ridiculous. Um, I think he's fine, but you never know. Kobe I, thought, have- I thought Jonathan Crompton was fine in 2005. I thought he'd sit out the year because mm-hmm. of an injury and red shirt and come back and compete to be the starter and really never happened until his senior year. And he was he was largely broken down by that coaching staff and by the expectations. So, well, the switching coordinators didn't help. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it, it, it certainly did not. But uh, go ahead and hit that like button. Get on board now as uh, let's change gears a little bit. Uh, it is time to talk some basketball balls. As my question for you, I want to lean on you for this. The season is over for Tennessee. We do have NIL that I want to discuss, but who should come back? If you're a Tennessee basketball player, who should come back? Josiah Jordan James, Santiago Viscovi, Euros Plasvic, uh, Olivier Kamwa. Those four can still come back. Is this because of the COVID year, Caleb? Yes, that- they okay. all because of the COVID and Santiago Vescovi was actually a midterm enrollee during the COVID year. So yeah, they all have. What year do we have to stop worrying about the dad blame COVID year? Cause when you write, you write junior or senior and it very frustrates, it frustrates me. So 2006, then we're done with it. Right. 26. I think so. I can't remember. So it'd if it's be five years. I can't remember if it's 1920 or 2021 for basketball. I know for football, it's obvious it's 2020, but for basketball, it's either, Gosh. I think it's 2021. It's so confused. All right. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I think all those guys should come back. And I don't think it's even a difficult discussion because of NIL money. And I have a rough idea of what football players are making. I don't have a great idea of what basketball players are making, but I do have a rough idea of what football players are making. And if you're anywhere close to that, you're better off coming back than hoping that you land in the first round, specifically the first half of the first round. So the NBA with the first round, you, if you're drafted in the first round, you get a guaranteed contract. Second round, doesn't matter if you're the first pick of the second round, no guaranteed contract. You may not ever make it in the NBA. You may be playing in Europe by December. So 
I think that all of these guys should come back because more and more NIL money is being poured into this. I can tell you within the last two weeks, two people approached me about interest in utilizing NIL dollars, either being the facilitator or spending the money. So I think more money is going to be out there, not only for football players, but you kind of go down the line in the pecking order, basketball, and then the lady balls, no offense, and the bass and baseball balls, the diamond balls would be on that third tier from who I've talked to. Caleb, I'm coming back, man. I think this NIL is going to get bigger and bigger. I think it's going to bring about a renaissance in college basketball. The regular season is going to matter because these cats can come back. And if you're going to be late first round, um, like Kennedy Chandler, or he was mid first round, you should come back. I agree, um, particularly with basketball. Because football, there is a more seamless transition, like at least in the SEC. Usually great players in the SEC become great, become at least NFL players, regular NFL players. Basketball, there is a huge gap between who's great in college basketball and who's great in the NBA. There are so many historically great college basketball players that never sniffed the NBA, that were never going to sniff the NBA. And I mean, some that maybe should have, but I mean, Chris Lofton is a legend in Tennessee, was never good enough to play in the NBA. I know some people think he could have because of his sharp shooting. The problem with him was he... People brought up Steph Curry. Chris Lofton's nowhere nearly as quick as Steph Curry was and does not have Steph Curry's handles. Never did. And so, and he was, he was shorter than Steph too. So Chris wasn't, I love the guy, but he wasn't going to make it in the NBA with that size. Um, He's probably one of dozens of players that got that comparison in his mind through the people around him and said, Oh, I'll go to the NBA. Well, no, he didn't leave early though. Well, uh, no, he didn't leave early, but I'll have great success in the NBA. Like, uh, Kennedy Chandler, I do think, got that in his head. Oh, probably. Another Steph Curry. Kennedy is at least athletic, though, and has handles. A couple of things that fit better in the NBA. Chris Lofton, again, was mostly just a spot-up shooter. Now, remember, I I remember Bruce Pearl working with him his sophomore junior year, saying, you've got to get better putting the ball on the floor and driving to the basket. And he did. Don't get me wrong, but once teams kind of learned to play off him a little bit, he, he, he had a little bit... Yes, there was a cancer issue, but he had a little bit of trouble his senior year from that perspective where teams realized that he was a bit of a threat driving to the basket. And it he was only a threat when you didn't take it seriously, if that makes sense. And so I, I think that you're right. NIL is going to make things a lot more. It's going to make it worth a lot more money to stay. But here's the other part, too. Development matters. I still actually, amidst the one and dones with the NBA, if you guys ever notice, the three and four year guys that get drafted late are the ones that almost always last. Like the one and dones that get drafted late in the first round or in the second round don't last like three and four year guys. Look at Grant Williams. Dwelt yep. for three years in college and he's there. So let's break these down just real quick because Tyree Key's out of eligibility. He's the only Tennessee player that can't come back. And quite honestly, he struggled too much throughout the year. I don't, I, I no disrespect Tyree, but I, I don't think he's going to be missed that much. Do you? I don't think Tyreek's mom thinks he's ready for the NBA. <laughs> but he has no choice. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> so, he has no eligibility. Yeah. So. so, I mean, but yeah, if he had a choice, he should come back. All right. So, choice. Olivier Comois, he needs to be a little more, he needs to be a little better defending the stretch forward, a little more efficient, you know, from that 15 feet out. I think we both agree with that if he, before he has a chance in the NBA. Um, Josiah Jordan James needs to be more consistent shooting the ball from outside and needs a healthy year. He needs a full year to be healthy because I think he's got a ton of potential. Uh, Uros Plavchik, I mean, I talk about a seven-footer that hasn't developed. I mean, the guy still brings the ball down every time he gets a rebound. 
And I mean, there's no way you can make it in the NBA if you're doing that. And that's a huge problem. And then Santiago Vescovi, I would say, is probably the best cutout for the NBA right now. But I agree, there's probably more money to be made coming back for another year and just just making NIL money. And then the last one would be Julian Phillips, the five-star freshman. Maybe he's a five-star. I thought he had Kevin Durant potential. He's got to come back, though. Don't you agree? Uh, yes, I agree with all of those that you just mentioned. And I do – I mean, in all fairness – Grant surprised me. Grant Williams, I did not think that he was going to be a long-term NBA player. So I, I'm I'm not perfect when it comes to the NBA. I'll be the first I'll be the first to say that. But I will say this. I don't know why we're getting feedback. Uh, I will say this though, um, that I just don't see a guy that just exudes NBA talent where a team would say, maybe you can't come in and play right away but we can develop you into a player. I think they saw that out of Grant Williams because of his heart and his desire. And he found a role and he fought hard all the time. I don't, I don't see, I, I, I don't see that guy that either has a, that mindset or B that physical ability. Now, maybe, maybe, maybe as far as physical ability, I would have Josiah Jordan James, maybe uh, as far as upside ability. He's got to be healthy. He's got to be healthy, and that, that's going to surprise me. Do you think he's going to surprise me? Not if he goes out this year, because I think this is the other thing. Who's going to, you know, you, the NBA, you're, it's such a luck game with drafting. Who's going to waste a draft pick on a guy that hit, gets hot once every five games and can't hasn't been healthy one full season in college? I mean, that's just, you're not going to spend a draft pick on him. So he definitely needs to come back. I'm with you. Now, now, on the other side, I guess if you want to think of the exciting side, imagine this team if everybody comes back next year. Like Rick Barnes. Very good. And what do they have coming in? Um, coming in, they have – they don't have any – they have, I think, one high-profile recruit. Uh, no, they have a couple guys. Okay, so they have Cameron Carr, J.P. Estrella, and Cade Phillips. That's right. So two four-stars and a three-star. J.P. Estrella is a center. Cade Phillips, a power forward. Cameron Carr is another one of those um, – He's another one of those uh, scoring guards, but I think he can play the one. So he's kind of got a Santiago Vescovi style. So they do have some guys coming in, but none of those guys I think would start next year. I mean, particularly four stars, if you ever noticed, develop more on Rick Barnes' system. And you still got Jemai Meshack. You still got a lot of other different players that are going to come in that that are that are on the roster. BJ Edwards is going to be is going to develop next year. There's going to be some guys hit the portal, which always happens in college basketball. So. But I don't think Rick Barnes's biggest weakness, he has one big weakness and he has a big strength. His biggest strength, and I think we all agree here, he develops talent. We all agree. Nobody, there's not a coach in basketball that's going to develop you better than Rick Barnes if you stay with him for three or four years. Okay, let me ask you this. Florida Atlantic, what did you think of them over the weekend? And does it, should it lessen the heartache for the balls? I don't because, I mean, this is just how March Madness works. Florida Atlantic should have lost the first game to Memphis. So you, you can look at them in the final four, but you can also say they got away with a horrible call to win the first, to win their first game against Memphis. A couple of people want to jumble board and say, hire Florida Atlantic's coach. I don't, do you see anything out of them that's special other than they play hard? Look, I, I said last week, I trust, I would trust Danny White to make a hire that's better than Rick Barnes only because it's Danny White. I wouldn't trust any other, any other athletic director, but I wouldn't have been able to name coaches. And with Dusty, Dusty May, who Danny White's brother found, 
I'm with you. I don't look, look at his record before this year. They were, I don't think he had 20 wins before this year. And so he had one 30 win season and a lot of smaller level coaches get hired after one successful season. And what a lot of people don't get is a lot of these success stories with these smaller teams are dictated by, they are the one team loaded with experience in the conference that year. And so it's not so much about the coaching. It's just, they just happen to be the most experienced team in the conference that year. It's not like what Bruce Pearl was doing at Wisconsin, Milwaukee, which I think he won the league three out of, I think when the horizon league three out of four years, he was there 20 wins every single year, two NCAA tournaments, a sweet 16. That was, you could see, okay, a year in year out, he was winning there. If you're one of those coaches that half the reason you see these coaches get hired from smaller schools and then they fail at the next level is because they were hired after one successful season. And that one successful season was where they were just lucky enough to have way more experienced talent than the rest of the roster. And that, that, by the way, that bodes in college football too. Good guys get hired up. Uh, very true. Portions of the program brought to you by Bassey Lawn and Garden. Man Alive, it's worth the drive. Bassey Lawn and Garden has their spring sale ongoing. Industrial mowers, commercial mowers, they've got it all. They've got the residential as well. But if you're restocking your fleet and you're a business for your own uh, territory, then or you've got a landscaping company that you're beginning, you need to go to Bassey Lawn and Garden, whether you're in Nashville, Knoxville, or Chattanooga. Man Alive, it is worth the drive. You will love them. Bassey Lawn and Garden. So two minutes and then coming back, we're going to get into uh, some football, but Lady Vols as well. Stay tuned. It's Caleb still calling for Kelly Harper's head. We'll get to that after this. Stay tuned off the hook sports. Family has been creating jewelry since 1986. Each piece unique with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry Jewelry Designs. I'm a jeweler, and I want to be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street, right next to the Tennessee Theater. Inflation has risen to the highest level in over 40 years, according to the April 2022 U.S. Inflation Calculator. Will your investments provide you the income you need in retirement? Are you losing purchasing power of your savings due to inflation? Simply stated, if the cost of goods and services are 8% higher and you're only earning 4% in your investments, that money buys you less of what you need. Right now is the time to act. Call Guardian Investment Advisors today. Hey folks, Gary Viles here. I want to personally invite you to North Knoxville's newest sports bar and restaurant. It's Big Orange Phillies, located in Black Oak Center. And yes, folks, it's happening in halls. Big Orange Phillies offers family-friendly environment with homemade meals and the best deli-style subs around. Billiards, darts, jukebox, shuffleboard, and cornhole, and a full bar. We also offer valet parking on weekends and during special events. We even have a covered back patio. It's happening at Big Orange Phillies. We want, we need, and we appreciate your business. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Dare to compare. Chattanooga, we're at it again. For the fifth year in a row, you voted us best of the best criminal and DUI law firm. And finalists for best law firm and best personal injury firm. 
Thank you for the love, Chattanooga. We won't let you down. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vasti Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasti, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Vasti's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Vasti Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Got cataracts? We can fix that. Never miss another moment. With a little help from Drs. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn at CCTIs.com. A college football tradition like no other. Yes, sirree, boys and girls. Or a guy that just won't leave. Wow, that is sad. The Dave Hooker Show, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. Back to Dave Hooker. Comments from the message board. Uh, Smoky Mountain Red saying Curry is generational talent. Nothing against anyone else, but it'll be years before we see another one like him. Totally agree, but goodness gracious. He is. Go ahead. Did y'all see, though, he's also been loaded with generational help. Did y'all see where Golden State came back from, like, 10 the other day? They scored 27 straight points, and Steph Curry didn't score any of them. Like, he's kind of had the ability, kind of like Patrick Mahomes a little bit, to freelance and do some things. Um, so, more comments from uh, the message board. As uh, Smoky Mountain Red said, uh, also, uh, bring Euros back for more bloody lips. I'm off with that. Uh, uh, Tariq can shave that mustache and come back as Tony Key. Like Caleb, he's unrecognizable with facial hair. Do it look uh, better or worse? I, do, I think you can pull I really think you're one of the rare people that can pull it off either way. With or without facial hair. I think Caleb's a good-looking guy regardless. I think with facial hair, I look like I'm 80. Uh, Smoky Mountain Red said, I'm excited to know JJJ, uh, Josiah Jordan James, has a year left with COVID. I thought he had already used it, so that's a big one. And uh, speaking of mustaches, uh, I call Tyreek Key the state trooper of the group with a stash. So I wrote about this over the weekend, and I don't think we mentioned it on Friday. You know the new mustache crew in town, don't you? Oh, yeah, we talked about it last week. It's the tight ends. Did we? Tennessee's tight ends? So if you haven't gone to the YouTube channel, check out the Vol Report with Jacob Warren brought to you by our one and only Bassie Lawn and Garden Man Alive. It's worth the drive. And I will tell you what, you will see a strong mustache by Jacob. But it's also included in that story, Ethan Davis, who I believe is a budding young star after one week of spring camp. Not that I would ever get ahead of myself. But Ethan Davis... Uh, need some help with this mustache. And I admit that when I was 18, I had two bald spots like right in the middle of my cheeks. And it took till my late or early, early 20s till it was filled in. Caleb, you have a full beard. When did you have a full beard? You know, I never gave myself a chance for it to fill in until I hit my mid 20s. I got to be honest. I, I usually regularly shaved before then. So I can't say exactly when. I got the full beard or when I could have had the full beard, if that makes sense. 
we talked about is it it's Sean May, right? That is a, no, what is his name at FAU? Dusty May. Dusty May, excuse me. So Dusty May, we talked about should Tennessee or another program go after him? And I would say, whoa, <laughs> he's up. Don't get too excited. And that's the same thing that Caleb mentioned. Uh, SC, Scout, SC Scout guy said, one year of success, uh, coaches you mean like Darren Horn and Lamont Paris, surely an SEC team. <laughs> uh, coach like that. Uh, do you remember where Lamont Paris coached before? Chattanooga. His- yeah. Yeah. I was around that dude a lot when I did a show in Chattanooga, and I could have told you that he was not ready for a big-time coaching job. I mean, it's just his first year, but you're right. He got hired off one successful season. Who was the most common one? And I'm trying to think college football. Somebody who had one good year at a smaller school, got hired up, and then just failed. Scott Frost. Not one year, but. Oh, you're right, though. One undefeated year at UCF, then failed at Nebraska. And that's also because he tried to – his offense is predicated on speed. And newsflash Nebraska, you're not going to get speed at that program. You're not going to yeah. be faster. I don't think it's Scott's fault. I think he'll go on to have a good career somewhere. Yeah. But I, I think that that would be the example I would use, go somewhere and be an utter disaster. And they had to talk him into that, twist his arm and all that stuff. And it's just, it just wasn't a good fit. No. Yeah. And frankly, what is a good fit at Nebraska nowadays? I mean, Tennessee, thank your lucky stars that you're not that program, a program that was dominant in the 90s, as Tennessee was. But I'm sorry, the sports passed you by. Nebraska doesn't have the in-state talent or nearby recruiting talent to compete with the big boys anymore. They're not going to be able to institute this walk-on program where they take a guy who's 220 pounds and turn him into 280 pounds with, yeah, protein shakes, not D-ball. But they're not going to be able to do that anymore. And it's just going to be really difficult for them to be relevant. Can you ever see Nebraska doing what Tennessee did last year and will likely continue to do in the near future. A total resurrection of the program. I can see a total resurrection, but they can't do it the way Tennessee did it because Tennessee is predicated on speed. Now, the thing that one area where it's similar, where they could do was Nebraska in the seventies and the eighties and the nineties, they were sticking with the triple option when it had passed the game by. And so you had to prepare for the triple option once every week to play Nebraska and then actually twice because I think Kansas State was running it under Bill Snyder during that time too but still outside of those two if you're in the Big 12 you would have to prepare for that once and change up your whole game plan and it threw you off now what Nebraska can do and I think they're doing this I think Trev Alberts who is the athletic director there when he hired Matt Rule basically said this they're going all in on analytics but not like standard analytics they're actually like I think they're using like a lot of data specialists from like Ivy League schools to try to figure out where they can get a schematic edge that no one is running right now. I think if I, I think that's the smartest play they can do right now is try to figure out a schematic edge that no one's running, that no one's figured out. Well, that would be Josh Heupel, which relies on speed. Josh, he- Yes, but Josh Heupel isn't the only offense that has a schematic edge no one's figured out. There's probably something that no one's figured out yet that hasn't even been invented yet. And that's what they're working on with Matt Rule is Matt Rule leans heavy into analytics. Well, but wait, 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 Caleb, but who can have a schematic edge in college football that's not based off speed because speed is based off the passing game, which the rules now, the downfield blocking on RPOs allow you to basically, as Gary Danielson once told me, bastardize college football. I mean, what, maybe there is one, but 
what would be a ground-based innovative system? Because Nebraska is not going to have the outside cats to run. Go well. I, you're right. They they can. You got to think of something else. Now start with this. Start with where could Nebraska get an advantage? They could get an advantage where Iowa and Wisconsin have one, but Iowa and Wisconsin run much more simplistic offenses, which is they can find those blockers, those offensive linemen that are the best blockers in the country. You, you That still is true today. The Midwest, that upper Midwest produces the best offensive linemen by far. Look at the NFL. The NFL is loaded with offensive linemen from that region. Nebraska can get those. They've got to, that's their strength. Get those linemen and try to figure out where you can generate an advantage with just those linemen. Because Iowa and Wisconsin, they just stick to a pro-style offense and just run the ball nonstop. And that you can't do that. that it's too simplistic. The minute they run into Ohio State, they get blown out. But you can figure out something with that system, I think. And I think that's where they need Matt Rule's creativity. Well, let's do this. Let's go ahead. And since we're in the football mode, let's get to four downs. We'll get to the Lady Balls here momentarily. And I don't think Caleb's going to fire Kelly Harper today, but you never really know for sure. Portions of the program are brought to you by Zul Beer. Go to xulbeer.com zulbeer.com xulbeer.com worldwide award-winning craft beer and parking downtown it is phenomenal it is the place that you want to be if you want to have fantastic beer and you can do that sec scout guy said paul johnson tried the triple option georgia tech and it worked okay early on but people caught on quickly i don't know i I I think it worked for like a dozen years yeah at tech if you're pushing nine wins that's this that's day and age. oh yeah this day and age in particular look i'm gonna say this. this is one of my hot takes i've said this a few years ago if you guys know the if people who don't know the layout of georgia tech and like this isn't your grandfather's georgia tech i think georgia state has a better chance of being an elite program than georgia tech in our lifetime okay why georgia tech is another one of those schools that has certain academic standards that they don't fully compromise on and they don't invest in much as much in the athletic programs. Georgia State is right there in Atlanta. And if Georgia State wanted to, they could go all in on being an elite program and being the next. They could be the UCF of Georgia. Put it that way. Okay. Well, you know that they have they have Turner Field now, essentially, which um, that's where they play their games now. So I think that could help. So let's go ahead and get to four downs now. Four downs is brought to you by our friends at Craft Treats. Dog needs it. Just the bottom line. Four downs right now on Off the Hook Sports. Four downs. Four questions. Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four. 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 Downs. A presentation of OffTheHookSports.com. Talking balls, Tennessee football, a long practice for the balls as went about an hour long on Saturday. Rodney Garner visited with the media. We'll have that on offthehooksports.com and my thoughts on some of the things that he said. But four downs, let's go ahead and start with this right now. The best freshman, not incoming player, not transfer, the best freshman will be Ethan Davis. So mull on that for a second, Caleb, while I tell you that crafttreats.com is your home for the best treats for your pet. And they also have the CBD-infused 
uh, pet treats that will help with anxiety for your pet, that will help with digestive issues and also arthritis. Go to crafttreats.com, use the promo code off the hook, promo code off the hook, and you will get 20% off. Ethan Davis would be the best true freshman for the Vols this season. That's what I'm hearing after week one, which is way too early, but that's what I'm hearing that he's fills out his pads is a uh, special young man. Are you asking? me? Yes. I'm asking you. I believe that's possible. I am a little bit higher, (laughs) but here's my thing. Freshman this season. All right. I'm throwing this out here, Dave. And it's not based on the first week. It's based on, I'm still stuck in my mode of recruiting. I'm still going Jordan Matthews. Okay. And I think mainly because I think they're going to desperately throw Jordan Matthews out there to start at cornerback this year. I think that I think they are desperately either Jordan Matthews or Ricky Gibson is starting this year. I don't know if you agree with me on that. One of them is starting. And, no, I agree. And I, I hear good things about them both and I'd have trouble splitting them right now. Maybe a little couple more good things about Ricky, but it's we're, we're a weekend, but you're right. One of the, I would make the same argument that you made about, um, Matthews, that one of them will be thrown out there because of necessity. I believe that one of them will be that Ethan Davis or McAllen Castles will be thrown out there because of necessities. Listen, Jacob Warren's a proven commodity, but if you watch Tennessee last year, it was a constant rotation, one series, one series, Warren Fant, Warren Fant. That's how they did things, unless one of them was gassed or got hurt. So somebody has to be ready to go if you want to continue that. Now, I talked to I did talk to Jake and I said, could you, sorry about email. Uh, I said, could you talk to, could you go out there for two and three series and that sorts of things? And he said, yeah, man, I could. And I'm sure he could. I'm sure Jacob Warren wouldn't turn down playing every snap, but that's not where this team needs to be because that's a more physical role. While they'll do that with some wide receivers, this is a, you know, you're hitting people still as a tight end. So I will take Ethan Davis for that reason. So, uh, second down, Tennessee's best offensive lineman, newcomer, will be John Campbell. John Campbell, which I was really not high on early in the season. And if you've listened to this program, and I will, I will go ahead and tell you, I'm bringing some knowledge here. I'm not just making stuff up. I really thought Andre Keurig would be the guy uh, that delivers the hot roasted coffee every morning. But I, I now am wondering about John Stevens from what I'm hearing. How big John would it Campbell, be? You mean? I'm sorry. You mean John Campbell? Uh, yes, John Campbell. Uh, John Campbell. I'm hearing that uh, John Campbell has some special ability. Uh, what would it mean if Tennessee's able to lock down that left tackle with Campbell? If they could lock that down with John Campbell, that would be impressive, particularly because that can move Keurig into the interior. And if Keurig is still as high, as good as we thought he might be, then that means the left you got the left tackle and the left guard locked up, and you got right tackle locked up with Joe Mincy and JJ Crawford. So you're all setting all your losses. I'm gonna throw one, I'm gonna throw a, a freshman in there for fun. But um he was an early enrollee and the most highly touted freshman of the lineman, and that is Vison Lane. And Dave, I don't know what you're hearing about Bison Ling, but 6'5", 315 when you when you're recruited, you, you can't coach that. <laughs> no, I agree. I think a little bit more of a project player, but will be a very good player. Uh, I think he'd probably benefit if he was 
six three or had better feet because he's kind of six five and feels like an interior lineman from what I've been told, but has the size to play tackle. So they've got to figure out where to play him. Uh, but that's certainly come up before, so they'll be fine. And uh, third down. As third down, let me pull that up. As my computer's giving me problems today, I apologize. But third down would be this. My goodness gracious. Uh, Cam Selden will have an impact at running back. Josh Heupel said on Monday that Cam Selden will mainly be a running back in spring. And he looks the part at uh, six foot two, 250 pounds, 215 pounds. Seldon looks mature in a running back room filled with uh, smaller backs. So what do you think of Cameron Seldon's impact at running back this fall? I firmly agree. I firmly believe Cameron Seldon's going to make an impact this year. I don't think Josh Heupel puts him at running back if he's not thinking I need another, I need a more dynamic feature back than Jabari Small. Much love for Jamari, Jabari Small does everything fundamentally right as a running back. He's kind of proven at this point. He's not the guy that can, like I said, take a five-yard gain and turn it into 15 yards or take 10 yards and turn it into 60 yards. He's the guy that if you call the right play for five yards, he's getting you five yards. Yeah, and Travis asking, they don't have an electric running back right now. I mean, yeah. Jalen Wright's closer. Dylan Sampson's the closest. But, but he's those are two all-purpose down, backs. Yeah. they. I mean, they don't – I mean – no offense against Jabari Small, but is he going to bust one that should go for 10 and he's going to bust it for 80? No, he's probably going to get run down. A uh, good point by Travis saying, man, there's five running backs already, though. What about Keith? Keith is going to be the blocking back, the power back in short yardage, and he comes in in the summer. So I do believe Tennessee, as you pointed out, Travis will come into preseason camp with, five running backs they'll try to get a look at. Now, the problem with Selden is you're behind Dylan Sampson, you're behind Jabari Small, you're behind Jalen Wright, and I think Sampson is on the rise. So how do you work your way in there? I think you'll have an impact in some shape, form, or fashion. And here's the thing about running backs. Well, who were we talking about before the season last year? We were all talking about Justin Williams-Thomas. Now he's transferred and gone. He looked like Tarzan, played like Jane. And Selden, though, they look at and they think, we got to put you there immediately. That's a pretty clear sign, as Caleb said, that instead of receiver, he can be a, a standout running back. And, and, and listen, you could watch high school tape of Jamal Lewis all you want to, but you didn't know he was going to show up and be an absolute bull in a china shop. I mean, in college. So, yeah. I mean, with running backs, sometimes they can show up in August. and They're like, whoa. That's the best guy. I mean, the you, you were closer to the program than I was at the time. Was the only reason they didn't start Jamal Lewis at the beginning of the season was he didn't know pass protection that well? I just I, I can't for the life of me figure out why he didn't. Why was it Mark Levin? Was that his name? Mark Levine? Who started? Yeah, Mark Levine. It was three things. Uh, I think they underestimated how good Jamal Lewis was, and he was a gamer. Okay, I don't think he was a great practice player. Pass pro was the other. And if you go back and actually look at Mark Levine's stats in that Florida game that you're referring to, he played okay. It was they they thought they could lean on an offensive line. So that sounds like about four things. But all in all, it equals a bad decision. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he should have been. But some of the players on that team will tell you that Mark did fine. 
But no, you could have a running back and seldom might be the guy that shows up on campus this year and has just a fantastic season. So, and don't forget, guys, because we bring up Jamal Lewis, like we are, we talk about Mark Levine, Sean Bryson was on that team, and then you had Travis Henry and Travis Stevens, who be, they were the oddballs out at that year. Travis Henry and Travis Stevens barely played. No one knew what was going to become of them. That, that that was a loaded situation. And in the early '90s, they had four running backs at one time with James Stewart, Moe Phillips, Aaron Hayden, and uh, Charlie Garner. So it's not crazy to go that deep at running back. Fourth down. Who's the leader on offense and defense? Okay, so last year you may rip his play, but Caleb's pointed this out, and it's it was very apt and changed my perspective on the way I looked at uh, Trayvon Flowers. He was the leader. I mean, he was the leader. He there's there there's an advantage there being safety because you can see the whole field, but he was the leader, no question. On the other side. Pretty obvious, right? On offense, who the leader was? Yeah, it was pretty clear. <laughs> yeah. His name was Hendon Hooker. Great last name. So, who is the leader on both sides of the ball? That's fourth down. I'm I'm going to go first, if you don't mind, Caleb. And it's not just because he works with us and he's on our YouTube channel. But I think Cooper Mays, from a lot of people I talked to, has already accepted that leadership role and has gone from being the little brother of Trey Smith and Cade Mays to being the dog leader in the room. And I can, I can tell you people I've talked to within the camp, Cooper's going to tell you something once. And if you don't listen, that's on you, but he's going to give you some direction. And I think he is the leader and he'll also, yeah, I thought this was really interesting in the conversation I had with Cooper that we're going to post on the YouTube channel. He said that a lot of times, Cade Mays, his brother, or Trey Smith, would handle the line calls because when he first started playing center, he wasn't ready from a mental and physical perspective. So they would handle some of the line calls. Well, now he gets to handle all of that. He makes it easier for the running back. I'm sorry, the quarterback. And he makes it easier for him because he'll handle some of the line calls. So those are uh, that's my leader on offense. My leader on defense, I have no idea. And that is my honest opinion. I don't know who that person is. Um, I think everybody likes Omari Thomas and his upside, but he is not a vocal leader. Rodney Garner talked about that over the weekend. You want to go second-level linebacker? Maybe it's Aaron Beasley. Uh, You want to go third-level in the defensive backs? I got nobody. Caleb, who's the leader on defense? And they missed one, certainly, before that trip to Columbia. Well, Fred White brought him up on Friday, and until he brought him up, I didn't think about it, but it's Tank McCullough, the other safety who started with Trey Flowers. He's been starting – this is his fifth year starting with Tennessee because he came in midway – he started midway through 2019 when Trey Flowers broke his leg on an interception and missed the rest of the year. Tank McCullough came in and started the rest of the way alongside Nigel Warrior. And the next year, he and Trey Flowers became the full-time starters, and he's been starting – and he moved over to strong safety. He's been starting ever since. So I think it has to be him. You need a safety that can kind of cover for deficiencies that are probably going to be there at cornerback again. So for me, it's Tank McCullough on all, on defense. I think there's two leaders on offense, and it's so cliche because you brought up Cooper, and I'm with you. I think Cooper's a leader. I do. I was going to go there too, but 
I, I still think Joe Milton's going to be a leader. I've heard enough people talk about him that I think you're going to have. And by the way, that's what you want. You want your center and your quarterback to be the two leaders of the offense in most most situations. And I learned this with, I guess, Peyton Manning and Jeff Saturday back in the day. They were both kind of leaders of the offense in different ways because Peyton said, and you probably know more about this than I do, but quarterbacks don't even understand the language the offensive line has. Apparently they have their own language for audibling and calling plays and blocking schemes that is completely different from the quarterback and what he's doing. Now, uh, McCall is a good one. Um, if it's not McCall. I don't know who it is. Uh, it has maybe, to be. It has to be. I mean, Keenan Peely, if he plays the mic, which we think he will, would be the guy that you would, would say naturally just because you play the mic, but he's just, just showed up on campus. Yeah. Are you immediately going to be a leader? I mean, it even took Al Wilson two years to become a leader. Um, that sometimes is more difficult to be in a productive player. Um, so, yeah, I think McCall is a great one. Absolutely love that. Uh, we have uh, Jalen Wright playing the tight end fullback role. No, no, he can't. No, I think that's Khalifa Keith. Um, I'm not going to. Khalifa Keith or one of the tight ends. Yeah, um, well, it's not – I don't even think Jacob thinks it's going to be Jacob. Well, that <laughs> Jacob's a little too tall. You want your – Right. Yeah. Which is exactly what he said. He has 6'6". Six, six. It's tough to get leverage from a fullback position. Yeah. Yeah, that was the, – the king of that was – do you remember how many times on the goal line? Because in two, in 2000, Travis Henry was a – you know, dive over the goal line constantly. And then remember Travis Stevenson next year? He would consistently go under the defensive line to get into I the do. end zone. <laughs> Dude, I remember that scary moment where uh, Travis Henry landed on his head and his mom ran out on the field. I remember that. That was crazy. That was good. <laughs> Golly, you're just, I mean, sometimes you just have to stop in the middle of a football game and say a little prayer. And he did that. I mean, he went up and over every time on the goal line. He was diving for the end zone every single time. <laughs> okay. So what the H coming up next? Does Nick Saban really really care uh about alabama's entire athletic department or was he just uh saying stuff flippantly i want to ask that question because he may have undermined alabama's basketball team is the bottom line portions of the program brought to you by city heating and air conditioning city heat and air.com integrity matters you might not need a whole new unit you might just need something pretty easy like a part or some Freon. So that and the Lady Vols coming up next. Stay tuned. We'll be back with you in uh, give me three minutes. And let me tell you something about Campbell Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn right now. Sun, sand, and salt water. The beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK vision correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get the Vasti Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasti, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Vassy's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Vassy Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Hey folks, Gary Viles here, Viles Automotive on Callahan Drive. I've been selling cars here in East Tennessee for 27 years. In that time, I've come to realize it's not about the car. 
is about you, the customer. So I'm here to take care of you just like family. Good credit, bad credit, you name it, we can get you taken care of. If we don't have it, we can find it for you. We go across the country to get any vehicle that you want. And here at Viles Automotive, we don't believe in fake numbers. We just give you great deals. And as always, we want, we need, and we appreciate your business. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Chattanooga, we're at it again. For the fifth year in a row, you voted us best of the best criminal and DUI law firm. And finalists for best law firm and best personal injury firm. Thank you for the love, Chattanooga. We won't let you down. Our family has been creating jewelry since 1986. Each piece unique with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry Jewelry Designs. I'm a jeweler and I want to be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street, right next to the Tennessee Theater. Um, who's this guy? Hello, wizard! The Dave Hooker Show, Ooh. a presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker. You're listening on the YouTube channel. We appreciate that. Hit the thumbs up button, like if you're listening on any other platform. Be sure and turn your notifications on so you'll know when Cooper Mays goes live today on our YouTube channel. Subscribe. We appreciate that. Download the app. It's free and it's awesome. So check it out. I open with a comment from SC, SC Scout Guy. And he said, quote, I think for once the attention was not on his program. And he was taking a shot at Oates. So who might SC Scout guy be referring to? I'll tell you right now. It's uh, Nick Saban. What the? What was he thinking? Release the hounds. The Dave Hooker Show. Keep cool. A presentation of offthehooksports.com. What the H in honor of Norm McDonald. Brought to you by Campbell Cunningham, Taylor and Han. Campbell Cunningham, Taylor and Han has vision correction that, hey, look at me. If you're on a video platform, no contacts, no glasses. Love it. Love Campbell Cunningham, Taylor and Han. Campbell Cunningham, Taylor and Han has local vision that you just don't get in Knoxville. People fly eye doctors in from everywhere at Campbell Cunningham, Taylor and Han. You will get expert, expert procedures with great follow-up, whether it's cataracts, LASIK, or just your regular old vision checkup. So I brought up the question before SC Scout Guy weighed in. Nick Saban saying, and and backtracking it a little bit, we didn't get a chance to talk about this because Tennessee was still rocking in the tournament, kind of rocking. I guess 50 points is rocking. But Nick Saban saying there is no such thing as wrong time and wrong place. So then Nick Saban, that seemed to be a reference, right, to NATO saying wrong time, wrong place. Who, by the way, some people have said before all of this uh, happened with Brandon Miller, 
it, some people were saying that Tennessee needs to go after Nate Oates because Nate Oates was hired by Danny White at Buffalo. But that was a weird situation because he was an interim head coach and it kind of felt like Danny White wasn't sure who to hire. So he interviewed the players, which is usually the wrong answer in hiring a coach to interview the players. You will hire the wrong guy. But in this case, it worked out and he goes to Alabama and he gets a guy like Miller. Then he creates a culture that suddenly Nick Saban apparently has a problem with. And you can say all you want to, that he, he has said that was just um, a coincidence, wrong place, wrong time. He went to basketball practice and Miller wouldn't say that he apologized to him, but last week he went to basketball practice. So Nick Saban, was he taking a shot or was this truly just coincidence? Caleb. Was, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. He was taking a shot. He was, and he's trying, and he's, this is ultimate gaslighting. Cause we talked about this last week. Remember? And we just assumed that he was taking a shot. We didn't even have a debate about him taking a shot. No. So we're talking about it. Just like assuming, like, obviously this is at NATO. It's for him to walk this back now is, I mean, this is the, it's, I got a lot of respect for the things Nick Saban does to run his program more than a lot of people who cover Tennessee. I, I get he's a little sanctimonious, but honestly, I don't think it's as annoying as other past sanctimonious head coaches. I, I got to be honest with you. There's been worse than Nick Saban for someone to have his level of success. <coughs> Joe Paterno. Um, but, um, Hugh Freeze. I mean, not the level of success, but sanctimonious is Hugh Freeze. Oh yeah. Hugh Freeze is, he is, the, he is the most disliked, because of that in coaching circles. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. In coaching circles, he's referred to as Pastor Hugh, and it drives other coaches crazy. It it, it implies that they don't have good moral values. No. <laughs> you constantly preach it yourself. And by the way, it, it, the funny thing is he doesn't have good moral values. He fills, no. He fulfills the stereotype that many people have that the more you throw your Christianity in someone's face, the more you're hiding something shady. And right. I mean... He fills that perfectly. But yeah, so I, I, the thing I don't like about Nick Saban is he has no problem gaslighting what we do, the media, as if we're doing something wrong. You obviously were taking a shot at NATO's. And by the way, you had every right to take a shot at NATO's. And I actually disagree with SC Scout guy. I don't think it was about the lack of attention on his program. Nick, Nick Saban's coaching the Alabama football team. He's going to get his attention. He doesn't need to try to steal back page, back page headlines in Tuscaloosa. Alabama football is always going to beat Alabama basketball. What he is going to do is try to make sure no unwanted attention goes on the overall program. And let's be honest, there could be – look, Alabama's already struggling a little bit in NIL. They're not on Tennessee's level with NIL. They're not on Texas A&M's level with NIL. If you combine that with just a little bit of negativity on things like what happened with the basketball program, combined with the fact that Nick Saban's a little bit older now – you could start seeing a few one, two, or three recruits be deterred away from the school over the next few years. Well, Alabama fans should know this, but they don't want to know this because it's it's fun just to refer to him as the great deity, Nick Saban. But the simple fact is, moves he makes like this, and there have been about three or four that really stand out. One was pace of play. He didn't like that other people were running pace of play. Then what did he do? He hired uh, Lane Kiffin. The other has been he hates NIL. He hates 
the transfer portal? And then what happens when an investigative group asks Alabama for how much money they spent in NIL? They didn't release the number. And now it's this, and it's with Nate Oates. So everything is very orchestrated. And Alabama fans, you can take that for what it is. You can like it. You can hate it. I really don't care. But the guy doesn't wake up in the morning and have his moon pie without thinking how he's going to open the wrapper on his moon pie. He has what, two moon pies every morning. Is that what he has? And so he there's nothing that that guy does throughout the day that's happenstance where he's like, oh, I didn't see myself here. But the question I have, is that good for Alabama's program? Because Nick Saban's long in the tooth. How ma- how much does he have two, three years left? Probably I, I'd go two or three before four or five. Nate Oates took them to uh, a sweet 16 with uh, Brandon Miller. So do you allow Nick Saban to run your athletic department? Because that is what he is doing through public sentiment right now. He is putting pressure. I bet most Alabama fans couldn't even name who Alabama's athletic director is. They just think it's Nick Saban. Yeah, half of them would say Mal Moore. (laughs) Yes. And Um, and I will go ahead and tell you right now that Nick Saban is running the athletic department, and if this NATO's thing gets any uglier, he's going to find a way to pull some strings and get him replaced. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's simple, Caleb. I mean, it's the money is like 20 to one when you start counting tuition, donations, ticket sales, all of that. Nick Saban brings in, I used to say 10 to one SEC football versus basketball, but he's been so impactful. It's like 20 to one. Hey, those can take a hike. I agree. And I would if. If you're an Alabama fan, you shouldn't be upset about us saying this because you should want your football coach to do this. Like you well, want, you you should, you should. Dave, would you sacrifice? Let, let think about this for a minute. Do you think it? Don't you think it's worth sacrificing twenty years of basketball success for two or three years of football success in Alabama? Like if you ask an Alabama fan right now, you'll win. You you're gonna be. Would you rather be in the Sweet 16 and possibly in the running for a national title over the next 20 years or have two national titles in the next three years in football? Okay, but Caleb, you said something there that threw me for a loop. Okay, you would want your football coach running the athletic department? No, no, no. You want your football coach doing what Nick Saban does, which is being very orchestrated on everything he's about. And so I, that's not that's again, that's not Hugh free sanctimony. That's not even Joe Paterno sanctimony. Like that's not like the, I'm so much holier than you all No, you want, but you want them to be a little, you want him to push the boundaries as far as he can without getting the program in trouble, which he does. I, I, I railed a few weeks ago against Duke, you know, letting Mike Krzyzewski coach the NBA, letting Mike Krzyzewski coach the Olympics at four times. I thought that was massively unfair, but if you're Duke and you're Mike Krzyzewski, yeah, you want your coach doing that. You want your coach doing that. And so you want your coach at Alabama doing what Nick Saban does. Let me ask you this. Did Nick Saban cross the line with the wrong place, wrong time? No. No. Caleb, you can't call out somebody in your own program. that uh, You can't call out a fellow employee in your business. You wouldn't call me out. I wouldn't call you out. I wouldn't say, Caleb, that's just the dumbest article I've ever seen during the show. I mean, I might call you or you might call me, say, Dave, you made a mistake there. That ain't working. Dave, we're in this together, though, you and I. 
Nick Saban is not in it with Nate Oates, and nor should he be. Alabama football is on its own. Alabama football, uh, look, I'm going to be honest. What's writing the checks for the rest of the sports at the university? It ain't the basketball program. It's the football program. Man, I tell you, he crossed the line. And 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 listen, this, this can be the seed, Alabama fans, if you're out there listening. This can be the seed for discontent. So far, look who agrees with me. Travis, yes, absolutely. SEC scout guy. SC scout guy. So Saban absolutely crossed the line. He did. And, and, and Alabama fans, you can take this for what it's worth. But the moment that Nick Saban is not having fun coaching football, he's going to cruise. He's not hanging out to set some all-time record. I don't know how close he is to Paterno's record. Maybe if you can look that up. But I don't think he's going to be that guy. Philip Fulmer was that guy. He wanted about, uh, I think, 28 25 more wins, wins. 25 yeah. to pass General Neely. Nick Saban ain't that guy. This can be the seed of discontent where if, if – if somebody in Alabama's athletic department has the stones and they probably don't to say, Hey, Nick, coach, Saban, short prom, whatever your name is, that was out of line and inappropriate. And the bottom line is once that happened, Brandon Miller got asked about it again. And what happened in the next game they played in? It created more of a distraction out of an already huge distraction. And if this is any other coach in the SEC, he is reprimanded by the athletic director. We may not hear about it, but he is reprimanded. Every other coach in the SEC ain't Nick Saban. I mean, you do earn a little bit of clout. I went through. Look, if if um if Derek Dooley says this about Bruce Pearl, we're, we're, oh. yeah, we're all side. The whole world is siding with Bruce Pearl in that moment. In 2010. But again, it's not, I understand you have the right and you have the ability, but you still shouldn't because it makes it a story again. I think, look, I think Nick Saban is thinking this PR backlash is going to be another thorn in the side of trying to recruit at Alabama. And it is, let's call it. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, Dave. We agree that this story is a type of thing that like that, that's an umbrella that goes over the whole program. And the way the Alabama administration has handled it has been awful. I think we all agree it's been awful. They hid the fact that Brandon Miller was part of it at first, and then we found yes. out about it. And then they're hiding that other people were were part of it. I think Nick Saban is mad. Maybe even not at he, – he may not be saying that Brandon Miller should be suspended, but I think he's upset with how the program and administration handled it because it is a black cloud over the program as a whole, and it does affect the football program, which is responsible for keeping the rest of the school afloat. But see, this is the same. I, I saw it up close. This is the same thing that when you start to disagree with the athletic department and you think you're bigger than the athletic department, it's the same thing that happened with Philip Fulmer and Mike Hamilton at Tennessee. That it, you plant the seed of discontent, and then suddenly that leads to distrust, and then suddenly you've got a real issue that you can't go back and fix. I think Nick Saban crossed the line. I think he he should be reprimanded, but. You can't because he's Nick Saban and he has 8 million national championships. So you can't reprimand him, but and he single-handedly improved the academics of Alabama. This is a good school Amen. now because of him. Amen. Like the enrollment's like doubled. I mean, it's bizarro. Um, what the, the financial impact he has had on Alabama is probably in the hundred million dollar range plus 
Like that's a baseline. We're not talking a couple of million dollars because of extra donations. We're talking about enrollment and everything. Caleb, but you can't say this. He has a his number one focus is delivering results for the football program. I don't think he's retiring in two years, by the way. I think Nick Saban is built totally different from the rest of us as humans. Most of us as humans, and Nick Saban preaches this all the time, and I kind of almost use it as a motivational thing for myself, which is he says, the human condition is to survive, not thrive. So once you hit a base need, you oftentimes want to rest on your laurels. And he said, it's, it takes work and effort to like train yourself to not be satisfied with that. And I think Nick Saban is never satisfied. Nick Saban what was it, Red Boy? You said in Waterboy, the only thing better than a crawfish dinner is five crawfish dinners. Nick Saban is like the only thing better than seven national championships is eight national championships. Okay, but let me. Okay, so you had a somewhat similar situation at Kentucky where John Stoops, or I'm sorry, Mark Stoops. Who's John Stoops? Mark Stoops made reference to John Calipari uh, making a reference that it's a basketball school. Okay, but that was way more minor. Nobody died like in the Alabama incident. But would you have called Mark Stoops in to say, hey, man, don't perpetuate this? Well, John Calipari started that. Exactly. But you can't call John Calipari in because he is ultimately what's what's defining. No, I'm pushing back on this hugely, Dave. It's not the same. He okay. defines the university. Yes, but okay. Two things on that. One. Kentucky basketball doesn't outweigh Kentucky football to the same degree that Alabama football outweighs Alabama basketball. Kentucky actually football brings in a lot of money on its own. And I would and and so Mark Stoops has some pull because even at college football is so much bigger than college than college basketball that even at Kentucky, football can rival basketball in terms of what you bring in. More importantly than that, John Calipari ain't Nick Saban. John Calipari is one of the worst underachievers in the history of college basketball. I agree. I agree. Let me ask you two questions. Okay. The Kentucky thing got us a little off path. If you're the AD, would you bring in Nick Saban and say that was inappropriate? Would you even say anything about it? Would you reprimand him? Would you say anything publicly? What would what would be your reaction? If I'm the AD, I guess in a vacuum, yes, I probably would do that. But you have to take the whole thing into account. If I'm the AD, Nick Saban's never saying that. Because if I'm the AD, I'm getting out in front of this. I'm finding out what happened when it happened in January. And I'm getting out in front of it to make sure there's no black cloud over the program. And I'm doing whatever I have to do. Okay, I get that. But you are where you are. Monday of last week. And he says that. Are you saying, Nick, we need to talk? Yes, but that's in such a vacuum that like, yes, I would say, Nick, we need to talk. Because now we're in massive damage control. And I don't know what Nick would say to me, but I will tell you this. If I'm the AD, Dave, if you talk about boosters controlling things, I try to have a talk with Nick Saban. Who do you think the boosters are going to side with? Yes. Here's the problem, Caleb. I wouldn't because I don't think you can. I don't want to even create that little thread of Nick Saban saying, well, I can go coach somewhere else and win a championship. Um, You're right. That is true. That's I. I wouldn't call him in, and that's the problem. He's gotten too strong in a lot of ways, and that's happened at other schools. And you haven't been able to get rid of them. I always thought Florida dodged a major bullet when Urban Meyer bolted because of the chest issues or whatever after Alabama beat him in that SEC. He ran from competition. We know what he did. Yes, he exactly ran from competition. Okay. One more thing before we talk Lady Boss, and that is what other football coaches could say what Nick Saban 
said and not get called into the principal's office. The only one I've brought him up and you're right. When a, Look, it's dangerous when a coach gets that powerful because I brought him up a thousand times, but this is Joe Paterno. Joe Paterno got this powerful and was allowed to, in 1999, when campus police came to him and said, hey, your defensive coordinator is doing this. He went to the administration and he said, don't do anything about it. And the administration said, fine, we won't do anything about okay, it. Okay, but I'm talking about current SEC coach. Yeah, there is no other, there's no other coach in the SEC that could do that, that could pull that off. And I don't even – maybe Kirby's smart at this point, but – Nick Saban, it's what you do with your power. Does Nick Saban have, is it dangerous when a coach gets that level of power? Yes. Do I think Nick Saban is, I don't think he's using his power to be as damaging as what Kirby Smart might be doing at Georgia or what Joe Paterno did at Penn State. I mean, that's where you use your, again, so I can't judge Nick Saban on it because he's earned that power. My question is, as long as you're not using it to cover up for a, uh, a street race murder or a, child sex scandal on your campus like they did then you know he's using it for the best benefit of the alabama program and the people involved i'll give you an example um my son's 18 now he's about to move out he comes to me yesterday and he goes i want to go on this trip with my friends which is a vast change from being 17 and me saying heck no i can't say anything now He's an 18-year-old man. You can't say anything to Nick Saban because he's had so much success. So he totally crossed the line, but you can't say anything. That, to me, is scary. Alabama fans, if you're listening, post below and tell me. Tell me why you don't want Nick Saban to shut up because he he should shut up. Because the bottom line is it comes across as very, very orchestrated nowadays with the tempo of play, all of that. And he has just used different comments to try to affect the game. And now he's using different comments to try to affect the athletic department. That's not his place. And if it was any other coach, they would be under double secret probation. They would. Look, by the way, Rebecca says, I love it when Caleb gets fired up. And Rebecca, I was thinking about you over the weekend. Did I get you a T-shirt? If I did not, please email me again, because we just got those in and we got some out, but we didn't we didn't get them all out. Go ahead, Caleb. Oh, I was just going to say um, that I think the principle of what you're saying is right. You don't want a coach to have that much power. And it's a problem at any school, any place. I say if I'm Alabama, if, if the question isn't, should Nick Saban have that much power? He shouldn't. The question is, what do you want them doing with that power? And I got to be honest, Nick Saban may be the one coach I trust to do what's right with that power. I think he's doing what's right for the program. His job is to deliver results for Alabama football and keep it scandal-free. And he's Oh, oh come on, Caleb. <laughs> you trust him to do what's right? I, no, 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 no. He I, lost all credibility with me when he said tempo a game is unsafe for players. And then when Lane Kiffin became available, he said, why don't you come in? He even got Butch Jones to help him with tempo and they ran tempo. You miss. No, I didn't say I trust him to do what's right. I said <laughs> I trust him to do what's right for the Alabama program and Alabama football. And his job is to do what's right for Alabama football. Let's talk about coaches that got this powerful. Let's just say it. I, I want to know what your thoughts are, Dave. If a Sandusky scandal happened under Nick Saban, do you think he would have handled it the way Joe Paterno would have? I think he would have thrown Sandusky to the wolves the way he should have. Or do you think he would have covered it up because he cared about the program the way Paterno did? If if that happened under Saban? Yes. 
again, we're talking in the vacuum. Like I, I painted you in a corner. Now you're painting me in a corner because yeah. it would because it wouldn't have happened, right? I mean, just like the. Well, no, it could have because like he may not like again. It, it, it... Well, they knew that that pervert was running around for years. Yes, that's what I mean though. I mean, so they, they Joe Paterno, as far as would we he know, had nipped time, it in the bud. Would he have? Would he have turned Sandusky over the minute he found out? I think he would have. He would have gotten rid of him. I, I here's what I think. I think he would have gotten rid of Sandusky and not allowed him back on campus. That was what Paterno didn't do. Paterno did remove him from the coaching staff, but allowed him to still utilize campus facilities. And I also think Nick Saban would have told police. You think he wouldn't have gone to the police about that? Um, One, I think... I'm nearly as sure as you, so I'll abstain. Okay, I mean, look, that's... I, I would say from a selfish perspective, from a sanctimony perspective, I think you look better if you go to the police and throw your guy under the bus and be like, I am sorry, this will not be tolerated. And you're the guy that took him down, as, and then you're the hero. But Caleb, all these coaches, they want, they absolutely want this to go under the radar and not be seen or heard about. So I think in his mind, in a coach's mind, you say, maybe, maybe, maybe this will never be heard about. Uh, SC, SC scout guy says Steve Spurrier left Florida because he and the AD did not get along. Spurrier told him, I guess I will go and coach somewhere else uh, and left for the Redskins. Well, that, that that's it's a little bit true, but I also think he felt underappreciated by the entire fan base. Uh, SC, SC scout guy also saying, I 100% think Saban would have handled that situation the right way and called the police. <sighs> We at least all agree he would have handled it way better than Paterno did. He well, would not have allowed. Gracious, I mean, just giving him a key fob. Was, <laughs> I mean, that, that's he literally he he was like, "Oh, you torture kids? Here's your torture chamber. I'll let you have it." Yeah, um, but no, I, I think Nick Saban crossed the line, and I, I think either on, on either side that the athletic department could see this as a hey, you've gotten a little bit big for your britches, and he's and unless something changes, he's not beating Kirby Smart anytime soon so a little of the just i'll always win glean is going to start to wear off and the other thing about if i'm saban i'm like you're allowing this to happen that could be the seed of discontent the seed of discontent could be planted on either party our lady boss thoughts on how they ended the season are you giving kelly harper a big contract are you happy with what the lady balls uh, we're able to turn things around. Thoughts? So I don't think people should be happy with how the season turned out. This was a top 14 talent wise that didn't live up to the expectations. I think Jaru and I were texting over the weekend and he has a good point about how, and I think you were on that group text too, about how they were three of 17 from three. They shot awful and they shot poorly. I agree. Well, I was on that group text, but I was at dinner with my wife. So I turned it off. <laughs> I agree. And he brings up a good point there. And it's like, you can't, you know, when your top shooter test Darby goes one of six, you can't really do much. My problem with Kelly Harper is she's still, it's so old school thinking because she keeps one shooter on the court at a time. And I think this day in Asian women's basketball, you need two or three pure shooters. I think that you stick with Harper and you give her the contract extension, even though I think she coaches an old school way that I'm not a fan of, because look, everybody's back next year, pretty much, pretty much everybody's back. You're going to have a team that 
took a little while to gel this year. That's going to be a lot healthier. Tamari Key is going to be back in the lineup at center. Her defensive presence will be huge. And so, yes, I think you give Kelly Harper the extension. I think she, I, I, I think coaches need four years, no matter what. I, I actually think you should give coaches five years, no matter what. Like well, if, you if you don't believe, if you can't give them five years, you should fire them. One or the other. Um, This is not going to be, you're not going to be a fan of this, Lady Ball fans. But I'm just going to tell you, the Lady Balls program is never going to be even remotely what it was under Pat Summit. And that's partly because of Pat Summit. Pat Summit built the entire game to be more competitive. So, whereas I thought baseline was making the Sweet 16 under Pat Summit, um, that's not going to be the case. Sweet 16 is a decent run. And Caleb, I think Kelly Harper is doing as find a job as she can be and being a businessman, which I like to wear that hat every once in a while, I'm going to look at it and say, is she keeping me from losing money? So I would judge her by the fiscal sheet every June. That's the end of their year. June 30th is the end of Tennessee's fiscal year in the athletic department is Tennessee women's basketball, the lady balls, losing money, making money, breaking even. And, and that sounds awful. You should say, no, you want to go out and compete for multiple championships. I just don't think that's going to happen. And I think if you go out and you shuffle through coaches, you're in a very similar situation that you were with Philip Fulmer. With Philip Fulmer, the football coaching community disliked Tennessee because of what they did to him, because they thought that the whole place was in shambles after Lane Kiffin left. And if you run through two Pat Summit assistants and they have not been enough to placate Tennessee's fan base, then here is exactly what you're going to have. You're going to have people in the women's basketball community say the same thing. Don't think for a second you're going to make a run at Carol Lawson or Don Staley because you ain't. Uh, SC Scout, Scout guy says, I think the Lady Balls overachieved. Losing key was huge. I'm just going to be honest with you. I got, I got zero problem with, okay. with where they are. Well, Dave, let me ask you this because you were there when it happened. Didn't this whole – angering people in the community. Don't you think that already started when Dave Hart made the right but tough decision to force Pat Summit to step down? I think there were a lot of people that had feelings over that, even though it was the most necessary, difficult move you had to do. Yeah, he didn't need to kill off the lady balls. That was a dumb thing. Yeah, I mean, that was dumb. But listen, with, with, with Pat... And I hate saying this because of all the people in coaching that I have reverence for or people, period, she's right up there at the top. She she didn't know because of her disease, but she should have hung it up a year earlier. Maybe and, two or three. Yeah, and I was told by, by some people that were friends with Pat that it started, that things started to show up even way before we knew about it, like four or five years, that there was some, some weird things happening with her and her, her, her mental ability. So, um, yeah. And, and the last year I know from guys covering that program, she didn't talk to the media nearly as often. I mean, Pat Summit would go over there and she would do three stand-ups for the television station. She'd do a one-on-one with the radio. She would do the print people all at once. She would do all that. And it got to the point where she was lucky in her last year to talk like once every two weeks and Holly Warlick would would stand in there. So 
Yes, he he made the difficult decision of doing that. It was an unpopular decision at the time. You would have liked to have, have thought, and I've had two two very very close family members go through the same thing, and you can tell them all day, Caleb. I don't know if you have, but it's a terrible disease. You can tell them all day, you need to do this, and they'll say, "Okay, that makes sense." And then you might walk outside the room, and five minutes later they're doing something else or making a phone call to make some other moves. So you could tell Pat summit all day long that she needed to retire that before that last year, but I don't think it registered. I think Dave Hart did make that decision. Um, got a little sidetracked, but I, I, I just think at the end of the day, that women's basketball, if it's, if it's breaking even, if it's something that gives you promotion on television, making the sweet 16 or so, I think that's about what you should hope for. I think the days of seven championships are over. And we'll have to see how that goes because Dawn Staley looks like she's the next Gina Oriama Pat Summit. Like she might win a second straight this year, and I, I don't see anybody beating South Carolina. But I will say this: but how many does she? How many will she have then? She'll have three at that point, and that's or and that's two in a to, row. But is she going to get to seven? Well, eight is what Pat Summit got. To. I don't know if she'll get to eight or eleven. No, but if she gets to like six, and like look, she's going. Pat Summit had one undefeated season because. Even the if there was one area where women's basketball was competitive during that time, it was the SEC. You know, Auburn was good over a period of time here and that. There were quite a few good SEC programs that were competitive. And so Pat Summit couldn't do what Gina Oriema would do, which was just run through the season and go undefeated in a really bad Big East with a bunch of programs that cared nothing about women's basketball. By the way, if anybody wants to take solace to your point, UConn has now gone seven straight years without a national title. That's after they were on a 120-something game winning streak in one four straight. They've gone seven without one. They just missed the final four for the first time in, I think, like 16 years. And if anybody wants to take a little solace in some karma, Gina Oriema, the year Pat Summit died, made the decision out of sheer pettiness because she didn't commit to him to keep Candace Parker off the Olympic team in 2016. Candace Parker's won two titles, a finals MVP since then. He hasn't won a national title since then. That's just sweet karma, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Mike's saying parody in men's and women's basketball is so much greater than the 80s and 90s. Sweet 16 is much more meaningful now. It is in the men's, too, to a smaller extent, but definitely the women's. Well, the women's game is better. problem with the men is that the great teams, the good players are just not as good as they were in the 90s and the 80s. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. There's not as much development in college basketball anymore. Uh, Travis saying settle for less who would hire Harper right now. And Danny White is the best AD in the country. But again, you're talking about a move that if you own a business, it, the risk reward is not there. What's the reward that you make a hundred thousand more dollars. The risk is that you create a deficit in your budget. Well, and the real problem is, and here's where it's really hard. Cause you made a point that if you move on from Harper, which I'm with you. I think you stick with Harper. Give her the five years. Look, I, I have to say this. I think you have to keep people happy for the budget. You obviously have to keep fans and people in the community happy. The Lady Vol fan base community thinks something that's wrong, but they think it, which is they want, they are very big on keeping the Pat Summit connection alive with whoever you hire as head coach. That you and I. Stop. I know, but that has to stop. I know it has to stop. You and I are very are, are very are on the same page. You don't get like th that's why Kelly Harper was hired in the first place. 
Philip Fulmer all but admitted it in his press conference. He's like, you know, when I first did the search, it was all look for the best coach, but too many people in the community, it was a big deal to get a former Lady Vol to coach the program. And I'm like, what? <laughs> there is a there is a culture, a sense of pride specifically with that community that I understand because Tennessee was so out ahead of the curve embracing Title IX. And they played such a role in getting women's athletics to become a national brand that if, you know, we all hope one day the WNBA generates a profit. If it does, you trace it back to Tennessee and Pat Summit in the 80s. That's what you trace it back to. And that's where they started. And there's a huge sense of pride in that. Rightfully so, but you're right. You're going to go down the, you go down the ship with that sense of pride. You're going to be like Princeton in football, which was the greatest football program ever in the 1800s and 1900s. If, if Carol Lawson called from Duke, and by the way, Carol Lawson went from 17 and 13 and 2021 to 2022 to 26 and seven and 2022 and 2023 this year made it to the second round. So she's building something there. If she called and I said, I want the job, I would say, let's say they moved on from Kelly Harper. I'm not saying that uh, Carol Lawson would try to get the job while Kelly has it. But if they, if they made that move, I would say, Kara, are you sure? Are you sure? Because we need to be sure on both sides. You need to be sure that you're willing to dedicate 10 years to this program, that this is your destination job and B you need to understand that the scrutiny is going to be higher because you're tied to Pat Summit. And I would tell her as an athletic director, if I'm Danny White, I don't think it's a good move, but I can't turn you down because you have a public image that I think would help in recruiting. You have shown success and you do know the ins and outs of the basketball program. I don't think you could tell her no, but I, it would be a very hesitant. Yes. Yeah, I think I, I, I agree with that, too. And I mean, I think you have to make it very clear what she's walking into. Um, I, I don't think, even think she would know exactly I, what she's walking into. I think Carol Lawson is probably because she's coached. She started late coaching. I think Carol, Carol Lawson started late coaching. And I think that helps her because she understands some of the changes to women's basketball that I think I'm not sure Kelly Harper does. It's my only thing. And that's. Look, Pat Summit didn't understand the changes to recruiting and didn't accept them in the in the 2000s. I mean, you can complain all day about Gina Oriyama using ESPN Studios to get talent. You got to use your advantages at that point. You got the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame in your hometown if you're Pat Summit. Use that to your advantage. So, uh, tomorrow we will uh, continue our position by position preview of the balls as uh, spring practice continues. They're off today. They'll be back again tomorrow off the hooksports.com. What you need to know from week one, we'll post later this afternoon and why there's a new facial hair trend with uh, one of Tennessee's position programs, even though both Caleb and I have gone sans beard. We've dropped it. But, uh, spring baby. Yeah. I think we're looking young and handsome. He's Caleb is. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. We'll also have a big recruiting update tomorrow as that news continues to flow in at Off the Hook Sports. Again, we got the app. Get the app. If you haven't gotten the app, be sure to have your notifications on. Hit that thumbs up button one last time for the like and be sure you're subscribed. We'll have Cooper Mays coming up later today. Have a fantastic day, everyone. He's Caleb. I'm Dave. This has been a presentation of Off the Hook Sports.